ulterior. So let's have a conversation real quick about why this is the final regular episode of the year. Because that was definitely not the plan coming in this week. I didn't know that would be where my head is at. But it was a decision made as I started to think a little bit more about the release calendar for the remainder of the season. A release calendar that is very, very bare. Um, there is the new Thousand Below album on December 9th, but truthfully, up until then, I don't know what is coming out. That's not something that I have knowledge of, and I'm sure that there will be some, you know, neat little releases for me to go through, but given that I am not aware of what's happening, I don't feel comfortable or confident in continuing on with the formula of sorts that I have established, so... The way that Alteria works, if you're hearing this and you don't know how it works for whatever reason, a week of mine consists of reviewing any albums and EPs and singles and then doing Scenic Overlook, which is where I rank my 10 favorite songs of the week, and then concluding said week with a podcast episode. That's the formula I've tried to stick to. I don't really think continuing on with Scenic Overlook is worth it because when you are number one in Scenic Overlook any week, you automatically get locked into the top 100 songs list for the end of the year. Given that, again, I don't really know what's coming out the next few weeks, I don't want to take the chance of having to lock in a song for the sake of what really might be like a weird rule that I've made for myself here. So for that reason, I am capping off the regular season here this week. Uh, between now and December 9th, there will still be album and EP and singles reviews on social media, but no scenic overlook and no regular podcast episode. And I keep emphasizing regular episode because I do still have some plans for more episodes between now and December 9th, but they won't be in this uh, structure where I review new material. So I do hope that that little tangent made any sliver of sense to you guys. If not, then, I don't know, message me. I'll explain it further, I guess. I don't fucking know, man. All I really know is what I have to cover for this episode, and that includes brand new singles from the likes of Not A Toy, Anna Shikari, The Word Alive, and a couple of others I want to get through, and then brand new records by Tala, Colt, and Gatherers. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this final regular episode of 2022. I suppose since this episode is being released the week of Thanksgiving, I want to go ahead and say happy Thanksgiving, y'all, and enjoy whatever festivities or non-festivities you dive into for Thanksgiving, and then I guess the upcoming holiday season as well. Whatever it is that you celebrate, whatever you don't celebrate, just have a good fucking time. Me personally, I am not having a good time, I am not enjoying myself, but it is what it is, I guess. This shit sucks, man. Anyways, uh, onto the news topics for the week. So, the first story, and... I'm going to say this again, I'm really, really fucking sorry about talking about death regularly now, but 
given that I've tried to do like little news bits here and there and death is always in the news, it's just going to be what we go with now. So Jason David Frank, uh, he played Tommy Oliver in Power Rangers and he was the green and white ranger. Uh, he passed away, I believe it was Sunday when news broke. Um, genuinely like really, really fucking sad to see all that happen. And I, I can't sit here and act like Power Rangers was like a giant part of my childhood like many others I saw on social media, but it was prevalent. It was there. I remember having figures and even, you know, the Green and White Ranger. I remember seeing the show just on TV, kind of for something for me to just like be lost in space at or something. Uh, and by all accounts, Jason was an incredible guy. And there was this video I saw of him saying something to the effect of like, it would never... Uh, like be tiring for him to be deemed a hero and it's something that he took a lot of pride in and he was very proud of that fact and that's like a genuine like real fucking role model and a real like uh, a vision for like what the ideal hero is and that's what Jason was he was the ideal hero and that goes beyond just you know a suit or a show or a title or anything of that sort Dude was so fucking real for that shit, and he's going to be missed dearly. If you were on Twitter on Thursday night, then I'm sure you saw and or partook in the demise of Twitter debacle and everything that was happening there. Um, so I kind of forget everything that happened, but I know uh, Elon Musk had given Twitter employees until like a certain time on that day to pledge their allegiance to Twitter 2.0 or else, you know, whatever. And a lot of them not fucking with the vision. And so it became a thing about like, who is even left to like run and engineer Twitter? And is anybody even there to, you know, fix any of the shit? So it was, I, I think genuinely concerning for some people, but I also feel like not everybody who was like getting involved with the memes actually believed Twitter was going to die Thursday night. I think they just wanted to get their jokes off, which I can definitely respect, you know, get your funny up. Um, and it was definitely funny. I, I thought a lot of what was happening that night was really enjoyable. And then we all woke up on Friday and Twitter was still there and Twitter is still there right now. Twitter will always be there. You're like anybody who thinks Twitter is actually going to die. No, it's not. There will be, you know, some uh, tumultuous events happening within the organization for sure. But from the consumer side that we all exist on, it's fine. Nothing is going to happen. I only have one more topic to cover, and I guess it includes me sending well wishes to anybody playing Pokemon Scarlet and Violet because the game is apparently bugged to fuck and it's just like littered with all these technical glitches uh it's been really fascinating to watch and just to kind of like see the real-time reaction to all that happening uh it's not as or at least from what i can see it's not as bad as cyberpunk two years ago i feel like cyberpunk was like a an event in and of itself when it came to the technical bugs but with scarlet and violet it's very like funny to me i don't know why like that's kind of where my head is at with this it's not so much like um well i do hope that the game gets fixed but above that i'm just kind of uh enjoying the content i guess and that reminds me that i don't even think i mentioned last week that ash ketchum is finally a hooper now after like 25 years of losing championships that's crazy man but he ain't a grind runner and i fuck with that
So that was all the news topics, and now I'm going to go ahead and get into the singles, and I'm starting off with what is now officially the final number one ranked song for Scenic Overlook this year, and it is Dementor by Not A Toy. Alright, so this song fucking rips, dude, and a pretty big reason of why it is the number one song this week is because it just has like this really chill, laid-back effect to it that I think really kind of summarizes where I want my head to be going into uh, for the year-end season. I had other options, and I'll detail all of them in this episode, but for me, Dementor was just an easy pick. Like, again, that laid-back, just really relaxing, really... um like cathartic experience hearing a song like this that is laced with influences from the hip-hop realm and the r&b realm and things like that it was a really good change of pace from some of the other things that i got to listen to and enjoy this past week um not a toy is an act who their discography isn't wide by any means but uh they have like a uh like a quality over quantity type thing going for them i believe the self-titled ep from 2020 it was one of my favorite releases that year i think that they have shown this level of versatility that is almost unmatched by other bands of their age at this point and they just have like as bright of a future as anybody else in the scene and i think not a toy have all the tools to make for that potential and i really really want to see them achieve said potential in 2023 and every year beyond that we got a brand new single from andrew shikari featuring cody frost it is called bull I absolutely fucking adore what is happening on this track in terms of the vocal trail between Rue Reynolds and Cody Frost and just how everything that they're doing with the mixing of the backing track and how it has like this, uh, not really like a fast paced electronic style going for it, but just something that's like a little bit like a, a little bit of a frantic pacing, I guess. Um, it all works tremendously well, in my opinion. And uh, for a band like Enter Shikari, who, have like every right to be like a like a scene Mount Rushmore band. I admittedly have not really given them their flowers on this podcast before. I've never really given myself the opportunity to gas them up or talk about them, but they have more than earned every bit of acclaim to their name over their tenure. And I think Bull is just another instance of them understanding this electronic based style that they have mastered and crafted in a way that is just so awe-inspiring, and for myself, Bull is the kind of song that perfectly encapsulates the feeling of Anishikari and the feeling that I am so invigorated by whenever I get to listen to them, and it's just really catchy and fun and energetic and just everything that I could have asked for it to be. The World Alive, brand new single, Nocturnal Future. I feel like sometimes I can't really go into a new cycle for The World Alive knowing what to expect, 
because they have a pattern of being hit or miss in a way that I am still a little bit confused about how I feel about them ultimately. Like, are they Hoopers or are they not? Because they definitely have songs to favor their case for being Hoopers, but then they have some stuff that, you know, it's kind of just a little bit whatever. And I'm sure with a new World Live album in 2023, I'll have the opportunity to go more in detail about that. But what I will say is that Nocturnal Future it's a massive step in the right direction for the world alive and not that they needed to step in the right direction because i thought monomania was a great record but i just don't think that they've shown consistency in a way that made me hopeful for this song or the forthcoming album however like i said nocturnal future a good step i think this track does everything right when it comes to mixing the heavier and the softer sides of the world alive i think all throughout it telly sounds amazing with its cleans and his screams just a really well put together song that I think does a lot of benefits for the world alive. I can't express like how happy I actually am that I get to close out the year with the opportunity to talk about Caskets and their new single Guiding Light. Caskets were kind of like unsung heroes for myself in 2021. Uh, the record that they had that year, Lost Souls, I don't remember exactly where it placed in the top 50 uh, list for records, but it was like top 30, top 20, if I'm not mistaken. Like that record fucking delivered, and, and I still think it is tremendous in every possible facet. Um, with Guiding Light, I don't think it takes the formula of Lost Souls and like really morphs it into this uh, like extraordinary body of work per se but what i think it does is it takes the ideas of lost souls and simplifies them in a way that manages to make somebody like myself be able to ease into a new cycle and then maybe bring somebody new on who wasn't into the lost souls and didn't really have that knowledge prior about caskets uh this is a again a safe play of a song it's very straightforward i enjoy it heavily I'm really, really into caskets, and I think that they are going to be able to do a lot of good in the next coming year and really just capitalize on all the momentum that I believe they built off Lost Souls and the talent and abilities and capabilities that I know they possess. The final single that I'll go in detail on for this episode and subsequently the entire year is actually from Lonely Avenue, and it's called Blame You. I was really surprised by this song because it kind of dives into a sector of pop punk that differentiates from what Lonely Avenue did on their EP from last year, Strong Enough to Fall. And what I mean by that is that EP is very much rooted in like the traditional sense of pop punk, whereas Blame You, it kind of morphs like pop punk revival with almost like SoundCloud hip hop in a way, at least like in the verses, that's kind of the flair given for myself. And it's this formula that very easily could have been derailed, I believe, but Lonely Avenue managed to put together this track in a very cohesive and appropriate manner, and I feel like all the ideas here just blend together really, really well. There's no misstep whatsoever within this song. It's very, like, emo and just uh, angsty in a lot of ways, but I think that is kind of uh, benefited by, again, that emo hip-hop style that this track is possessing with the pop-punk uh, infiltration here and there. 
um, just a great song overall. And I think Lonely Avenue is the kind of act that if you've never heard of them before, definitely check them out and definitely just kind of scope out their material because I think there's at least, you know, one or two things in there that all of you guys can really gravitate to and fuck with. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Save My Soul by Awake at Last. Winter After All by Homeland. Carnage by Jasmine Bean featuring Lucy Loon. And Blur Me Out by Keepsake. There was one song that I gave a 3 to and that was Disaster by Royal Hearts. Um, it's just not very inspiring to me. I, I think the production on it and the, like the structure of it, it's just very, very bland in a lot of ways. I, I think the band at least like has good ideas and that's kind of why I went with a three and not something lower, but it's just not very effective to me. And it's not a track that I am going to be thinking about very often, if ever again. Um, yeah, there were only 10 singles last week. And I think that kind of speaks to why, um, the podcast is stopping for the rest of the year because, I don't fucking know what singles are coming out uh, from here on out. So like, you know, I, I don't want to run the risk of there being a week where I'm like, fuck, I only have six or seven singles. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, um, this podcast doesn't really work without an influx of material. And if that influx isn't there, then I don't have anything to talk about. And if I don't have anything to talk about, then why am I going to do a podcast episode? You know, so yeah, that's everything that happened with that. So now I'll go ahead and proceed to get into the records from last week. There were three to get through all three very very different from one another so th- this should be fun and interesting at the very least uh i'm gonna start out with a record that i was very like skeptical in some ways about getting into and that is the generation of danger by tala Tala is a band who I uh, came across around maybe this or a little over this time two years ago off of the album Metrifigy. Um, and I remember like seeing good things about the album and then hearing it for myself. And I could definitely see and understand why people connected with that record so much. For myself, it wasn't totally in alignment with what I was looking for at the time or like what was really in- enticing me per se. Uh, what I will give Dala for that record though is that there are two songs on there, Overconfidence and LED. And even if I think the rest of the record wasn't highlightable in the same sense, those two tracks are fucking stellar and tremendous. And they really, really did a lot to kind of help, uh, keep Tala like in my brain in some regards and kind of keep them as a band who I would be looking out for their next material no matter what it was or when it came out. Um, the other thing I, I recognized about this band early on was the lineup for it because it consists of two people who I had like, uh, like familiarity with, I guess. Max Portnoy and Justin Bonnets. So Justin, I remember him being a cover artist on YouTube. I saw a couple of his videos. So that's where I knew him from once I heard Dalla. And then Max Portnoy is the son of Mike Portnoy, who is a drummer for like Dream Theater, and I know he was on Nightmare by Vengeance Unfold, and then probably other projects that I'm not really privy to. And it was important for me to establish that familiarity because it gave me like a reason to care about Tala beyond just how the music sounded. So to get into what is happening on the Generation of Danger, the record gets right into the chaos that engulfs Tala's presence with the song Mudcastle. And to me, that song 
like perfectly puts on display the aggression and overzealous nature to Justin's vocal delivery. Like he is such a unique vocalist and just the way he sounds, the way he like uh, enunciates things is so unique to himself. And there is no project that I could imagine him uh, having this kind of free will within other than Tala. So like this is a, a perfect fit for himself and for the rest of the band. He sounds menacing and demonic and hurt and unrelenting all at once. Um, and then the intro track bleeds into the hard reset, which I think gives a better glimpse into the new metal style of Tala that will invoke comparisons to acts like Slipknot and Mudvayne. But the unique characteristics of Tala make it impossible for me to chalk them up as just fans of new metal inspired to give the genre a shot. They're doing way more than just giving the genre a shot. They're giving it an identity. They're giving themselves an identity. They're giving people like myself who become detached from new metal in some instances a reason to uh, you know, give our undivided attention to everything that they're doing. And I think early on into the record, Justin's clean vocals are, are just as enthralling and enjoyable as his screams. And we really get to see just like how wide of a range he has when it comes to delivering on all these aspects. Um, each song carries into the next with careful consideration and delivery, like on how Stomping Grounds picks up right where the hard reset leaves off and keeps the destruction going as a constant factor in this record's effectiveness. I will say right now, though, that I think one of the faults of the album is that by the time I get to tracks like The Impressionist and Shaken Not Stirred, the formula somewhat starts to feel like just that, a formula. It does feel like there's a pattern that Tala is following, and there's not a ton done to really like make these songs stand out in the way that The Hard Reset did, and it's just something where it's like maybe a little bit frustrating because I know Tala can deliver more effectively on these tracks. It's just for whatever reason, I couldn't really perceive that nature being there. The song of nothing does a lot to break away from that formula by giving this really uncomfortable and chilling movie-esque sound for a song that furthers the demented tone of Tala that needs to be experienced by everyone for at least one go around to fully understand what this album and this band brings all together. Because I feel like I can sit here and tell you guys that they sound like destructive and chaotic, but I feel like that doesn't really do a lot because there are other bands I can name that have that kind of style for them. But the energy of Tala is so like non-ubiquitous and it's just something that is uh, unique all to themselves and for that reason i think tala is a band that everybody just has to give at least one shot to if i'm not mistaken the song dicker's done it was the one track from the album to make it into senior girl like when it was a single and in my opinion it's the best song on the whole record it takes the ideas and concepts in the generation of danger up to that point and polishes every crooked edge that i could hear in some of the tracks uh, to make what i think is the ultimate body of work from Tala on this album and Dicker's done just feels like the culmination of everything. And it feels like the like pillar of everything that Tala was going for. And it's the closest on this record that I can find myself in terms of like becoming attached to a song on here. Like I did led or overconfidence when I was talking about uh, Matrifigy. Telescope takes the album backwards a, a, a slight bit in its delivery that I thought fell flat after a really hard-hitting track like Dicker's Done, and I'll apply the same thing to Head First. I feel like those songs kind of exist in that realm that I mentioned earlier with like uh, Shaken Not Stirred when it comes to tracks that I can hear potential in, but maybe not uh, seeing the, the full realization of said potential. But by the time everyone gets to the closing track, How Long?, any fatigue experience is just about diminished because of how different this track is compared to the rest of the record. The listener isn't just thrown right into this beast of a track the way that they are, The Hard Reset, or Stomping Grounds. 
and I feel like that does a lot to really make how long stand out in the best possible way. Uh, Justin has this fluid delivery to that track that I don't really think is present to any other song here, and it is a really, really neat way to close out the record on a high note, or at least on as high of a note as Tala possibly could have. Altogether, The Generation of Danger, I, I feel like it, it doesn't do a lot to overthrow a McTrifigy in terms of what I look at as like the ultimate presentation by Tala. Whenever I think of this band, the sound of McTrifigy and the artwork for it and where my life was at at that time in October 2020, those will still be the first things that come to mind whenever I think of Tala. But what the Generation of Danger does is it continues like the process of building the foundation of Tala. And I feel like this band, they have yet to really like reach their peak or hit their ceiling. But I feel like combining the efforts of the Generation of Danger with McTrifigy we can see that this band is on their way and, you know, it's not going to take a lot for me to become a more engrossed in the direction of Tala if this is what they continue to do. Um, you know, there are some areas that need to be worked on. I, I think in terms of like giving each song a reason to stand out amongst all the others, that is something that wasn't fully realized on the Generation of Danger or even Metrifigy, but I feel like we're not that far away from Tala being a premier standout act in the scene, and I really, really want that to be the trajectory for them because they have the tools, they have the ability, they have the talent, they have the members, they've got everything just, you know, a little bit of fine-tuning in some areas, and Tala will be fucking golden. There is a brand new EP out now by Colt, it is called Chapter 1, Memento Molly. In a way, this is kind of like some full circle shit because the first episode of this podcast for 2022 had a review of a cult EP on it called Hiddenness. It came out back last December and I was a really, really big fan of that EP. I feel like it kind of continued the trend of cult being one of the most prolific and fun rising acts in the scene. I feel like Colt has shown a lot of promise throughout their tenure thus far, especially on their debut album, PlayStation 2, thanks to songs like Needed You and Paradise. Like this band, they've got a sound down, they know who they are, and they are just excelling at everything in terms of their presentation and the packaging and just there's so much about cult that i feel like would expand beyond just the way the music sounds like i can say so much about this act and how they've carried themselves and they've carried themselves so fucking well so it, it like i guess warms my heart in a way to be able to start the year with cult and end it with cult as well um and for memento molly there's definitely a lot here that i can take with me into I guess like the arguments about why Colt have the spot that they do right now. Um, the EP's intro song, which is literally called Intro, um, it, it has some electronic production on it that reminds me of Jordan Fish from Bring Me the Horizon in terms of putting together these infectious tones that like, I, I don't need to understand what is happening here in like a really deep-rooted sense. Just being able to hear these, uh, like these sounds and these tones, it's so like soothing for my brain in a weird way 
And then that intro song transitions perfectly into Memento Mali, which has the signature style of cult that I've yet to grow tired of because of how fucking good the band is at this sound. Like, every member in cult, like, this is what they were meant to do. These are the songs that they were meant to create. These are the tones and the vibrant um, emotions that they were meant to evoke from listeners such as myself. Uh, the chorus is catchy while being emotional, yet still having this danceable factor to its production. Um, Garden is a bit of a more, like, upbeat sounding song that I can just nod my head to and get lost in. It, it has its own personality separate from Memento Mali, and it is very, very effective in being able to breathe more life into this EP. Um, the song Dead to Me, it has, like, this slightly draining sound for some of its runtime, but what I think that sound does is it perfectly sets up the more energetic moments later on while still highlighting all of Colt's strong suit. And, like, by this point in the EP, I'm, like, you know, more sold on Colt than I was before. I'm, like, you know, this band, they've got it. They've got everything down. And then Opium came along and just kind of momentarily derailed that. Like, not in a permanent sense. Like, Colt, they're still that fucking band. The members of Colt, they still got that dog in them. But Opium, it's just... I don't know, man. It's weird. It's really, really weird to me. Um, I, I think it lacks the personality and the character of everything else in their discography, and it doesn't utilize a slower tempo the way that I feel like Colt could have. And the song just ended up being, if I'm being like really, really honest with you guys, it was boring. And this is my least favorite thing I've ever heard from Colt. But I think ultimately, Opium is a, a misstep in what has been like a really, really sound and almost flawless discography on the part of Colt. So I'm not really going to like take any frustrations or disappointment out on this band because, you know, it, it is what it is. It happens sometimes to like even the best bands. But all in all, I think this EP, you know, it provided me with some good stuff. And one thing that I'm just going to try to forget that I ever heard, but all in all, Colt, they're still them. Like, this is still a band that I think everybody needs to go out of the way to check out because there's definitely so much material here for you to sink your teeth into and become just enthralled with the way that I have for a minute now. And now for the final record review on this podcast for 2022, Mutilator by Gatherers. So yeah, this is the final album review for the year, and it truly might be the most difficult one for this entire run, because there is so much to Gatherers that I don't know how to explain, and I don't know how to explain because they just have this style and sound that I... Okay... Here's where I'm going to start. We Are Alive Beyond Repair. It was their 2018 record, and it was an album that I felt like not nearly enough people were going to be able to hear as should have, and it bothered me because I'm there listening to this record thinking like, this band has a case for being a pillar of the future, but if the audience isn't there, 
how is this going to get across? And I'm not really sure what the answer for that was because I don't know what the reach was for We Are Alive Beyond Repair, but whatever it was, it was not what it could have been or what it should have been. Um, and I don't think that really, uh, got any better with Ad Nauseam My Drown, which was a standalone single in 2020 that did end up making the cut for Mutilator. Um, Ad Nauseam, it came out around the time of the pandemic, I believe, at least like near the start of it. And it was a track that I can remember listening to while being in the room that I was living at the time and just like how like dark and dim the room was and how I was going through so much internally that just kind of made a song like that mean all the much more to me. I'm drowning in your arms, tide glowing, cataract white. I'm nauseous at the thought you and mine. And me just reciting that chorus, it doesn't do that song any justice because the style and delivery that Rich possesses is something that in no words I can possibly come up with will be able to thoroughly and accurately describe the way he sounds, not only on that song, but on the rest of Mutilator. Like, it is truly a generational performance that needs to be heard to be believed. The first single for the album was Black Marigold, and I feel like that song really showed off the eerie style of the band with this brooding song that builds itself up all throughout it for some of the heavier moments later on that explode with the brilliance that is like hard to attribute to bands other than gatherers right now um gift horse that song features uh jeff rickley from thursday and it continued the trend set by black marigold in terms of crafting mutilator as this grotesque body of work that i wouldn't be able to pull myself away from for anything suffocator featuring dan lampton formerly of real friends was the final single and it had to it this style that is a bit more accessible than Gift Horse and Black Mirror Gold, but it's like disguise accessibility in a way. It's accessibility that is still laced with all of the characteristics of gatherers that I want to be hearing. And so it's a kind of song that is like a little bit deceitful, but it's deceitful for the greater good. Massalette is the perfect intro song to set the stage for me to later. And with that track, I was trying to think of how I would describe the sound of gatherers to anyone because it feels just more than impossible like okay i can sit here and say that there are bits of the used and glass jaw and circus survive and deftones but to me that doesn't really sound accurate still but it's the best comparison i can give but i don't want to make those comparisons because gatherers are just like so unique to themselves and they have this identity that is just so like non-mistakable for anybody but gatherers like this is who they are and i can't say that anybody else sounds like them or that they even sound like anybody else um box cutter featuring courtney swain keeps the pacing at a steady level while still giving gatherers this canvas that they're practically painting with the blood of the listener heart gutted here for you i could die at your feet till i'm bruised at the knees you keep wearing me down to the wire mutilate me you're my box cutter ear to cheek wearing the face of another honey on the marrow Holy fuck, guys, Honey on the Marrow, let me just say this, this song has this really addictive style in the verses that is as beautiful as it is tormenting to listen to, like, I heard this song for the first time while standing outside of my apartment waiting for my food to arrive, and that's like a really weird stage to set, but it's just, let, let me cook for a second, so I'm standing there, it's cold, it's drizzling, it's just fucking pitch dark, the sky, and hearing a track like Honey on the Marrow in that setting while having certain 
thoughts and emotions in my brain that I don't really want to relay out right now over this microphone. It is an experience that I cannot really put on another track from any other band this year. It's something that is going to stick with me for a very, very long time. And, you know, coming back inside to just like warm up and hearing this song still and just kind of being fully, fully captivated by it. And at that moment in time, it felt like nothing mattered to me in the world outside of Honey on the Marrow. And I think something that really helps that track is how it just feels like it's lingering. Like it feels like there is this force that is like dragging me throughout the entire song, like dragging me through glass practically. And I can't do anything about it. And I don't want to, like, I really, really enjoy this dark and gross style by gatherers that I, uh, again, could not pull myself away from. Last Day's Numbered on a Rotary Dial continues the agonizing style here that is just so hard to not embrace because of the roller coaster that it's taken me on. And because these songs have such unique traits to them, and it sounds like I've never heard an album like this before, there's an additional layer of addiction on my end because, like, I have 20 years roughly in the scene at this point, and I thought I had heard every genre blend that anyone could have cooked up, yet here are gatherers giving me something that I have never, ever heard anything even remotely similar to before. Tourniquet for Luck has one of the most fucking diabolical performances from Rich just in regards to the way he sounds and how it's inhuman in a way without being so sinister sounding. Like, um, I guess maybe a way to describe it would be that He's not really screaming so much as he just raises his voice while using the same tone that he has in his cleans, and that is somehow even fucking scarier than if this dude were just like going off with screams. The closing track, 12 Omaha Solemn Certainty, has these really beautiful acoustic moments that I feel like are just there to set me up in a way because I know I can't get too comfortable with that sound since by the end of the track, gatherers would have just put my brain and heart in a trash compactor for their own malevolent enjoyment and I have no gripes whatsoever about that being the case because gatherers can take all of these just really dark and brooding concepts and morph it into one of the most enjoyable album experiences I have been able to partake in all year long. And it's so weird to sit here and say that an album that makes me feel the way that I do, like makes me feel as gross as Mutilator does, can be so effective and impactful, but that's exactly what happened here. Mutilator is a a perfect album that just furthers what I was mentioning earlier on about the real like drive that I have to get more people into gatherers because you know i know the audience wasn't fully there for we are live beyond repair and if they're not there for mutilator that is fucking criminal because this record is amazing in every possible facet of the scene and just everything about this album speaks to me whether it be through the beauty or the pain or just anything in between the ugly factor of this record is so addictive and i i feel fulfilled in a way like there was a part of me that was missing before having heard mutilator but now that i have mutilator i feel like i've found something something that i'm not going to let go of that i don't want to let go of and i will carry it around with me and do everything that i can to make sure you guys and anybody who i meet from here on out in life understand what gatherers and mutilator mean to me
And that's it. Not just for the episode, but for the regular season of 2022. And like I've said before, um, this isn't the final like episode before the year-end stuff. I do still have two more concepts that I will be exploring very soon within the next two weeks or so. And uh, on social media, the reviews will still be posted for uh, new albums and EPs and singles. And then I'm also going to be catching up on some of the things from the year that I didn't get to review, but I have been able to listen to. So um, look forward to all that happening. And yeah, this is a... this is crazy. Like genuinely, it's really, really fucking crazy to think that I've made it to this point. Um, I'll probably like be more sappy and emotional in the year end stuff, but I just want to reiterate, like none of this happens without you guys. Like I don't keep going without the support from all of you for whatever reason that you decide to fuck with me like you have. And it genuinely means a lot to me that people give enough of a shit to listen to me talk about something as weird and trivial as scene music. And I don't want to take any of that for granted. So from the bottom of my crazy heart, thank you. And if you've stuck with me throughout this entire journey in 2022, I hope you continue to stick with me for the year-end stuff. Top 100 songs and top 50 records. Like, this is it, guys. Like, these are the biggest episodes of the year. This is the whole point of why I do what I do to get to these episodes. So the fact that I'm just a few weeks away from being able to tell you guys what was, like, my favorite uh, material from all throughout the year, that's crazy. Really, really fucking wild. But I wouldn't have it any other way. And again, I really hope you guys come with me for the ride. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene. For the love of the game.